Hey everybody, it is Luke and Eric here uh, for Bible Banter. Hope everyone's doing well. Sorry I missed you guys here on Tuesday. I haven't yet watched the video or listened to it with you and John, but I've heard really good things. Yeah, I'm a little bit biased because John's a friend, but I think it's one of the best shows we've ever done, and not because you were gone. Because I it was definitely because I, I was gone. I didn't talk much either. Uh-huh. Uh, no, it was it was fascinating. I thought it was yeah. really good. Hi, Carolyn. So for those like myself who weren't um, who weren't able to make it, can you just kind of give us a recap? Because I did see some of the comments, and someone was like, "Oh, here comes Eric like the Kool Aid Man." I think that was Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I may have to pull up the the. Uh, really badly photoshopped picture i designed and show it to you uh yeah we just we just did an hour of Advent christian history uh-huh. and in the course of that hour um for a brief moment creedalism came up because the simple fact is that non-creedalism is a really important part of the denomination it's a, it, it's it's for many and i think i think john without hearing what he had said i had heard him say before essentially his creed is non-creedalism yeah which you know, yeah. My, which you know my perspective that it's a creed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a logical fallacy to say that, you know. Well, but, well you, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what you should do. I mean, definitely listen to the podcast. But the, the bit that I think you'll find especially interesting that I, I'm still learning. Look, I'm not great on my Advent Christian history. I'm still learning a lot. Um, his explanation of how the, um, the our tradition of pacifism has sort of softened over the years was fascinating. And that'll be, I think that'll be especially interesting for you as someone who noticed that when you were reading through our Declaration of Principles. Yeah, I thought it, I thought Advent Christians hated, um, hated America. And um, as one who loves America, although I do firmly believe in the separation of church and state, and I think that too many churches uh, have an idolatrous relationship with their country. Um, I love America, man. And, and at first I was like, why, why is Advent Christians hate America? Well, That's well, just not go, the go watch the, uh, the hour of Advent Christian history and you'll better understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And I, I took a, um, you know, so through Gordon Conwell, um, Dr. Gordon Isaac, uh, who is our Advent, the Berkshire Christian Professor of Advent Christian History? I think that's his title, mm-hmm. um, and a great Luther scholar as well. He uh, he teaches a class that I forget what he, I think it's popular religion in the 19th century, and a large large component of that is Advent Christian history. Tremendous class, uh, which which I was able to take along with um, with a couple of other Advent Christian students. So it was good. It was good. Um, Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So that's available through Gordon Conwell. Uh, but you know you got to go to seminary, Luke, uh, to to take that. You know, education is kind of important. Hey, hey, for the record, I actually have twelve credits from an accredited seminary, so I'm one seventh of the way there. Hey, that's I don't even know how many credits I have, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, what seminary? Midwestern Baptist. Oh, Midwest Midwestern, solid. I mean, it's not it's not Southern, but it's you know. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's kind of like the the um, for those who don't know, Southern <laughs> Seminary is kind of like the flagship uh, seminary for the Southern Baptists. This is what I really missed this first episode that you weren't here was the constant air of superiority. I, I <laughs> it was missing from the show, and so I'm so glad that you're back. That's because John Roller um, is a really nice guy, man. He's he's really nice, and yeah. and I wish I were as kind and gentle as him. But I'm afraid that if I were, then I 
just wouldn't maybe, be me. <laughs> maybe in the coming years, uh, he'll make you a little bit softer and gentler, and you'll make him a little bit more creedal. Uh, yeah, you know, we can we can pray that the Lord works in his hearts and brings him to a place of of you know right belief. You know, <laughs> <laughs> poor John, he's not even here to defend himself. <laughs> but I would hope, um, you know, I'd hope that I, I would say the same thing, you know, just jokingly, you know, because I um, of course, of course, I, I do, I do admit uh, that on occasion I can be I can be wrong, but when I believe I'm right, I am. I really believe I'm right. Well, it's, it's part of why it's fun talking to you because you'll hold your ground. Now, we've got some comments here. Cemeteries aren't the only place to get an education. I feel like that's yeah. a funny joke that I just don't get. Yeah, it's a funny. He's referring to a seminary as a cemetery. Um, and and there is uh, – so, so there's, two, there's two pieces to that. One, I'll agree, it's not the, uh, cemetery is not the only place to get an education. Um, there are challenges with how we've trained pastors – and, and scholars uh, through seminary over, over the last uh, probably 60, 70 years. Um, but, you know, it is from being, you know, I'm about, a, I think, a third of the way through my seminary education, through my MAR. Um, it is a tremendous, uh, okay, graduates of SWBTS include Rick Warren, Chris Hall. Je okay, Rick Warren, I'm not going to, I don't think that's in, you know, that's not in the positive comment. Uh, column. Not a big fan of Rick Warren over here. Um, but <clears throat> seminaries are a unique place where you can get an education, especially before you start. I wish I had the opportunity to go into seminary prior to having uh, begun my ministry because you get a really great opportunity to establish a foundation of, of education. But that just wasn't in the cards for me, uh, but thankfully uh, I've been able to take some classes since then and working towards an, towards an MAR. So uh, it's not the only place you can get an education, but it, uh, you know, a, a good theological education starts with the local church. Um, I, you know what? I'm, I really like this list right here. I, I, I feel like that Chris Hall, Jesse Stevens, Mark Wolfington, that's, that is some uh, prime I would love to be included on that list. So I would be fascinated as to why those individuals chose SWPTS, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, over Gordon-Conwell, considering Gordon-Conwell has a 50% uh, scholarship for Advent Christians. Now, that could be because, um, like I know with, uh, with <clears throat> I got my undergrad at Liberty University online. And when I got my undergrad there, because I was military and they offer a veterans discount as well, I, it was like $250 per semester hour, which is still far less than what uh, Gordon Conwell is per class. Yeah. So, that, and, but Gordon Conwell, um, you know, th there's some positives and negatives. You know, it's, it's definitely more inclusive uh, with, with different um, theological traditions, which can be a benefit or a drawback, depending on your perspective. Now, before we get too far down the rabbit hole of uh, education, yeah, seminary yeah, education wow. why don't you tell everyone why you couldn't join us on Tuesday? Uh, yeah, so I didn't know if you had shared that or not. I, I gave them the really basic uh, fact that your mother had passed away. I didn't say anything beyond that. Yeah, so my mom passed away on Saturday uh, fairly unexpectedly. Uh, for those who had reached out and sent emails and or you know posted on Facebook, hey, I really appreciate your support and your prayers. But she passed away unexpectedly Saturday morning, 
and uh, which which has been really challenging. And at first, I did not anticipate going up to Massachusetts to see my family just because of the stay at home orders and with the pandemic and, and all that And Massachusetts definitely has a lot more cases than here in North Carolina, particularly in my area. So uh, at first I decided not to go up. I didn't think it was best. And there's not really much I could do going up there because so many things are shut down and it's so hard, you know, because once you, once someone passes away, you have to take care of a lot of their affairs. And that's, that's, that's a long process, but sometimes you want to just get that, ball rolling. And like for my family, my mom uh, really taught my sister and I, you know, you, you have responsibilities, you take care of those responsibilities first and foremost. And uh, we, she exemplified that when my grandmother passed away a few years ago. So, uh, you know, we kind of, my sister and I kind of started, you know, trying to work out the things that we saw our, our mom do. So she was kind of a, um, an example for us. So that was nice uh, to have that example. Uh, what's not nice is, you know, my, my mom died. So that, that, that that's not good. That's not fun. But I ended up uh, just driving up. I, my wife and I had talked about it Sunday night and said, you know, I think, I think I want to go up. I think I need to go up. I think I need to see her house. I think I need to see it uh, empty without her. I, I need to see my sister and, and uh, be there for her. You know, my sister and I, uh, you know, it's not like she and I talk every single day, although we have since my mom passed, but, you know, we're fairly close and we get along really well and, and we think very similarly. So I just thought it was good to be with her and uh, my my brother-in-law and my niece. That's her That's her family. That's her little nucleus. So went up there and it was a real blessing, man. It was really good to be with them. Um, in this time, just for, just for 24 hours, I was, I drove up on, it's about a 10 hour drive, drove up on Monday, was there for the day. We had, we ended up meeting with uh, my mom's lawyer, like her estate lawyer to kind of just figure out like, Hey, our mom's dead. What do we do? (laughs) You know, we don't, you know, um, and then drove back yesterday. So today's my first day back in, uh, North Kakalaki and, uh, back home, back home, man, back home. I'll tell you what I do. It, it reminded me because the weather was pretty miserable up there. <clears throat> Cold and rainy. I mean, it's rainy today, but golly, man, it was like 38 degrees. And here I am. I shaved my head on Sunday. This wasn't like a Britney Spears mental breakdown. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks. So, <laughs> um, so, you're, you know, so you're not a fan of Rick Warren, but you know about the fashion choices of Britney Spears. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I grew up with Britney Spears, man. So I know all about, <laughs> I, I know all about Britney. Oh, I've, just, I've, I've finally found a weakness. I've been probing and searching for weeks and I finally have one. You know, I grew up with Britney, maybe one more time. Uh, you know, all those other classics, man. You know, uh, you know, got them on my iPod. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> Refer to a Britney Spears song as a classic. This might be the greatest yeah. day of my life. <laughs> How is that not a classic? Yeah. Toxic. <laughs> You know, uh, when she's on the airplane, you don't, you don't know that song, the, the music video, back when music videos were a thing, like that's like that, that was legit. I, I mean, I haven't watched a music video in years, but I remember those. Yeah. I remember the song, uh, video killed the radio star. What killed the video star? Ooh, Spotify. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't even listen to the the only radio I listen to now is, is sports talk radio. But when I listen to music, it's on Spotify. Best investment oh. I ever made. 
Well, since, you know, like your mom just died, I think you're off the hook today, but that Britney Spears thing is going to come back. Uh, but what we, what we wanted to give it to me, man. <laughs> well, yeah, we listen, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. What we wanted to do today was actually um, to talk, spend some time talking about mourning and grief, because this is something obviously that uh, Eric is in the middle of and will be experiencing in the coming weeks and months. But it's also something that we as pastors deal with all the time. Before we do, I do want to give a quick shout out. Mark Wolfington mentioned his connection to Dwight Carpenter. And for those who don't know, I would say that 75% of the pastors in the Advent Christian pastors in the Midwest uh, in the past 30 years have been trained by Dwight Carpenter. My wife and I, when we were on summer ministries team, our first couple of years, uh, my last few years, I was with Jesse Stevens and Jed Krause, who are also great mentors. Uh, but my first two were with Dwight. And Dwight was one of those that you could go anywhere in the Midwestern region and talk to any pastor. And likely he had been trained at some point by Dwight Carpenter. Really? Yeah, that's pretty cool. So Dwight Carpenter was an Advent Christian pastor or is? Yeah. Yeah, he, so he's still alive. He's not pastoring anymore. He's um, deteriorated mentally. I'm not sure if it's um, just dementia or if he's actually been diagnosed with anything. So he's not in any condition anymore to do that kind of thing. Um, but for decades, he was uh, a pri you know, one, one of the primary uh, teachers in the Evan Christian denomination in that part of the country. Uh, and if, if I, you ever hear me lose... Uh, lose it on someone for saying fruits of the spirit you can blame dwight who every summer would give a lesson solely about the fact that it was the fruit of the spirit and not the fruits sounds like a guy i can get behind i like this guy <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a hobby horse i'd jump on <clears throat> but yeah let's um thank you mark they're at dowling park yeah they're down in florida but let, let's go ahead and uh, have some discussion today. And folks in the comment section, feel free to jump in uh, however, whenever you would like. Uh, but I, I guess, Eric, there are two ways we could start today. Uh, Wait, I want to first, uh, I, I told Tom we'd do this. Uh, for those who are interested in um, coining Greek, um, Lou Going and Larry Knowles are who guys that most people in our denomination know. Um, fairly well. I believe both went to Westminster. I know, I know Lou did. Uh, both are passionate about theology, the study of God, but are, are also passionate about biblical languages. And, and I believe Lou has been talking to people for quite some time about trying to do, trying to teach um, some, some Greek, some biblical Greek to folks. And they are working on putting something together very soon uh, called Koine at Midday. Their contact information is on your screen. You can contact either Larry or Lou. And essentially, they're going to start in John 1 and then move on to, I believe, 1 John to really go through the biblical Greek and, and refresh some things. So if you're interested in that, uh, please contact Lou or Larry, both tremendous guys. I know uh, Lou fairly well, and he has been a blessing to me. So that is on your screen right now. So sorry about that. But yeah, let's go to what biblical morning looks like, man. Well, I was going to say, I think I think there are two ways that we can start because we're definitely going to discuss uh, biblical ideas about mourning. Uh, mm -hmm. But should we start with that or would you be willing to begin by sharing? I know it's all still very fresh, but you're sort mm -hmm. of in the middle of it right now. Yeah. I don't know if that's something you wanted to share publicly this soon, but I wanted to give you the chance to if if you want. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I'm a fairly open book. Um, I, you know, I shared some of my struggles 
struggles and some some of the things that are going on this past Sunday when I preached. So my leadership team, they were great, man. I had so many people reach out and tell me, hey, pastor, we don't expect you to preach today or, or tomorrow when it was Saturday. And, and I very much appreciated it. But I think and I don't know why there are probably a whole bunch of reasons, but it just doesn't compute. Like it doesn't even like enter my mind. I'm not going to preach the gospel tomorrow. Right. So so when Saturday happened, I mean, I didn't have any sort of like thought of not preaching the next day. To me, that's just what you do. Now, it, that would have been different if I got a phone call. Hey, mom's going to die. You need to come up here right now. Okay, well, great. That that's that's fine. I, I would have done that. I would have loved that opportunity to see my mom, like right before she died. But, um, you know, that just wasn't. That she just declined so quickly. That just you know just didn't happen. That wasn't an opportunity I had. And, and my church would have been all supportive of that too. They, I mean, the folks at Hickory Grove, man, they're saints. They really are, and and um, they've really taken care of my family and I since since my mom's passing, and and they've been a real blessing. So. So I just got up the next day, man, and, and preached the gospel and preached the text that um, that we were in. You know, I'm someone who who my attempt in everything I, I preach is to one. Uh, I'm trying to give uh, everyone the main point of that passage. But also part of that is how does that passage point to the gospel? How does it point to Christ? Uh, I, I like to think of my preaching as very Christocentric or very Christ centered. And. Mm-hmm. And that's really that that was the sermon, man. And and the sermon was in the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Um, and and we're talking about sorrow turning into mourning. Now, the sorrow that um, that Jesus is talking about there is obviously his death um, and his going away. And, and also, I think there's a double meaning there, which is often common in John's Gospel, where he's also looking to his going away in the ascension. So. There's an idea of this sorrow that enters the hearts of the disciples as they see the death of Christ. But we often see the death of our own sin, which can often be a sorrowful event. We become sorrowful when uh, we're, we're, we are um, when we're convicted over our sin. And, and that's a that can be a painful process. You know, when you realize uh, how wretched we truly are and, and as people, then and how you have given an affront to God. I mean, that, that should strike at our hearts. However, Christ doesn't leave us there, right? So we find great joy in what? The resurrection. We see, see great joy in his resurrection, knowing that all that he promised, all he said is true. And um, we are defined not by our sin, and we're no longer identified by our sorrow. We're identified with Christ, in whom we've been clothed with his righteousness. So that was the heart of the sermon, man. And and God had been working on me all last week to prepare it. And he knew that my mom was going to die on Saturday. I didn't. So it's kind of like in the midst of in the, in the midst of sermon prep, my mom dies, and you go, Well, this is this is where this is where the rubber meets the road, really. I mean, you know, what good is is Bible knowledge or what good is preaching if it doesn't point you to Christ in the midst of, of tribulation, mm. you know? And yeah. and how, how trying is it to, like, get a phone call at, I don't know, it was 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, hey, mom died, you know, it was my sister who called like that. That's a pretty, that's a pretty jarring, you know, scenario. So, you know, it's sad, like I cried, um, 
and and you know I still have my moments and and it's hard you know especially when you think like man I'm never gonna be able to see my mom again I'm never gonna talk to her I'm never gonna get to as I said in my sermon I'm never gonna gonna get to hear her say hey kiddo um you know and I used to say mom I'm 32 years old I'm not a kid anymore and she'd tell me to you know you're still my kid so be quiet about it you know (laughs) Uh, so I don't get to have that kind of banter back and forth. And, you know, my mom, um, you know, I said this to my sister, I said it to my wife, you know, one of the things that this has really opened up my eyes to is, you know, uh, I need to tell people more, give your parents a break, (laughs) you know, like, I don't care how old you are, you you know, your parents aren't as bad as you think they are. And maybe they are. I don't know your parents, but you know, oftentimes we focus on the negatives of, of our parents. We focus on, oh man, you know, my parents won't get off my case, or or you find them annoying in some some capacity. And who doesn't find their parents annoying in, mm-hmm. in some way, right? My kid, my kids find me annoying when I tell them they can't have ten snacks at you know ten o'clock at night when they should be in bed. So you know, that's just part of that's just part of like life. But um, my it's kind of like Christ doesn't um, find my identity in my sin. He finds my identity in himself. When the father looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees the fullness of, of Christ in me. And it's the same thing with my parents. Like to honor them is to see them as God sees them. To honor them, to honor my parents is not to um, complain about them incessantly. They're not as bad as you think they are. Yeah, and even if they are, Let's say for a moment that they are as bad as you think they are. One of the things that um, has I continue to encounter the more that I study the scripture is the fact that um, when I dishonor my parents, I dishonor Christ. Yeah. That 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 I'm, I'm, we don't we don't dishonor our parents for their sake. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. we love our parents and, and want to do good for them, but that's not the reason we honor them as Christians. The yeah. reason we honor them is the reason we honor anyone because yeah. it honors Christ to do so. And it dishonors Christ when you dishonor them. I think uh, uh, in the book, Discipleship by, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank. I'm, and I'm having these times in the last few days since this, like I'm drawing blanks on stuff and I can't remember. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a tremendous, um, tremendous saint and martyr for the faith. And he died at the hands of the Nazis as he, you know, he was yeah. part of a plot to kill Hitler. I mean, talk about non-pacifism. Uh, he wouldn't super, have been a good Advent Christian. <laughs> no, he would have been a terrible Advent Christian. Um, so uh, Bonhoeffer talks, and, and this really blew my mind when I read it. Uh, but he he talks about how our relationship to one another, Christ is our mediator between that relationship. And I just found that to be an amazing way to look at our relationship. So before, like when I, when we're having this conversation, it's almost as though the words that I say the and the way that I approach it um, to you, Luke, it first passes through Christ. It first goes through the filter of Christ, that he stands between you and I. Why? Well, we're united together by his blood. He's, con- he's continually praying for us and on our behalf, and we should seek to honor him by the way that we honor one another and, and honor our parents. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you have to, like, like how you have to think through like, okay, sarcasm, right? You and I are are fairly sarcastic, me probably more than you. Um, Sometimes, and I'll admit this, sometimes that gets us into trouble. 
sometimes I, I, although I don't mean to sin against a brother or a sister, I do because of my nature, because of my sarcasm, because one, uh, maybe they don't know me, you know, maybe they don't know me and they don't know the sarcasm, or maybe it's the wrong time to be sarcastic. Maybe I take things too far. And I, and I do, I can, I, I have taken things too far, um, in sarcasm, um, Outside that's, of this that's show. Okay. It's 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 all coming back to you next week with this Britney uh interview. <laughs> Don't have God, Britney Spears. That is just indeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, um I, I comment here from Carolyn that I think is worth reading. I think for me the hardest part of my parents' death is not being able to remember them as they were in strength. It's taken me a couple of years to move to those memories. Mm. I'll tell you, that's one thing that I've observed in this year and a half of being a pastor is um, I was not prepared for, I mean, look, I, I knew I was going to do funerals. I knew there were older members of my church who were going to pass mm. away. I was not prepared for the grieving that would be taking place as people were aging and beginning to, I mean, look, a great example is, um, you know, my, my dear friend and mentor, Dwight, uh, he's, he's still alive. But in many ways, the man that I knew for so long is gone. And I, I see that happening for many of the people of, of my church where they have parents or grandparents who are still alive, but you already see them beginning to grieve because they're start slowly losing them. Well, and let's face it. I mean, um, dementia, Alzheimer's, all the, like all the things that fall into that category. I don't know if of anything that's worse you know it truly is one of one of the worst things out there like i i i don't wish that on on anyone man i i really don't and that is incredibly challenging because you are you know they call it the long goodbye and it's like you're losing you're losing someone that you dearly love but they're they're still physically there yeah and they turn into so and i've heard so many i've seen it where people's personality just entirely change when um, as, as that disease progresses and that's, it is, it's a long mourning process. You know, yeah. I can't imagine, I, you know, I can't imagine going through it. Um, now, now there's something know, and Mark, and Mark Sheridan, um, you know, Mark, Mark is one of the best follows, uh, for me on Facebook because he shares, um, and I'm sure Mark doesn't care that I share this because he shares it on Facebook, but you know, you know, he shares pictures of his dad and things and, and stuff like that. And it's so like, I find how Mark has cared for his dad and, and he and I have talked a little bit about it. I find it inspiring, man. Like, like Mark to me is a great, he doesn't know this, but it's almost mentoring me as a young pastor on how to care for my folks. And, and, and it's just, it's such a blessing to see someone. Um, Cause he's in the midst of, you know, the, and I, and I think that as pastors uh, and, and people have different levels of vulnerability and, and comfortability with sharing things. I'm usually a pretty private person on, on certain things, but with my own faults, with my own, with like some of the own emotions that I'm going through, I'm okay with sharing with people. Mm -hmm. And, and I think I, like, I don't want to waste this um, morning uh, when it can be an opportunity for me to encourage someone else. Yeah. And, and that's just how I'm wired. Like not everybody's that way. So, if, so if you can't do that, then that's fine. You know, don't feel like you have to, you have to do what you're comfortable with, but I look at it as an opportunity that I can share with those around me. 
you know. Now, now Alan just said something I think is really important. Um, talking about being honest about your the the emptiness that comes with grief. I'll tell you one thing that I've a journey that I've been on with my congregation um, mm -hmm. this past year because it was about a year ago that I had the the first death in my congregation and we've had several since then it's sort of uh, it's funny people some people say like death deaths come in threes well we we had three um pretty long-standing members pass away within you know about six months of each other and um and the time since then i i have sort of uncovered um i think and it's not just within my church i think it's a culture in a lot of churches where grief is people don't allow themselves to grieve or to mm -hmm. mourn or to lament. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you study the scriptures, that stuff's all over the place. The, the, the idea that the, um, in order to honor Christ, Christians can't ever be sad or um, even despairing, mm -hmm. right, is hopelessly unbiblical. The fact is that there are just countless places in the scriptures and we could we could start citing verses um in the old and the new testament where grief and mourning and even despair are uh god doesn't condemn us for those things in fact we're told we're commanded to do yeah. that well it's like you know uh luther's known for telling people about the good gifts of god and they can be used rightly and wrongly and and that that's with all sorts of things so there's a fine line between sinfulness and god's glory and and that could be in in all things right so we talk about alcohol like that's come up in some of my bible studies more recently because we're in romans and and talking about weaker brothers and stronger brothers and whatnot and that's not, that's definitely an unpopular topic within advent christendom uh the use of alcohol because historically that's something that we've been teetotalers on essentially but um you know, I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I really there, did, man. There's some good comments here, and your thought will come back to you. Narendra uh, yeah, yeah. says something. I find during this social distancing time, we also grieve the way um, we had been able to comfort people who are going through loss. We can't hug, we can't hold hands or touch a shoulder to pray with them. Yeah, look, that's. I think that's been one of the greatest struggle for the. Look, I'm. I feel so blessed to be where I am because I'm surrounded by great uh, mentors. There are so many um, wonderful pastors who live in my town and know me and care about me. I will tell you for, for those guys, the hardest part of this crisis has been the fact that they can't be with their people when yeah. difficult things are happening. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's something that a lot of us are feeling. It's like my, my family member is having to go into the hospital for a test no one can go in with them. Yeah. And it really, and those are the things that like, when we think about the pandemic, the things that can often get lost on people, you know, for some, it's almost like an extended vacation, but you know, we're, we're there are people that, you know, my mom didn't die alone. Uh, she, she had a boyfriend that lived with her um, and his, his oldest daughter was there. Uh, she's a little bit older than I am. Uh, my sister tried to make it like she got the call. Hey, your mom's about to pass away. And she like ditched everything that she had at Home Depot. Cause for some reason, everybody in the midst of pandemic wants to go to Home Depot. 
but she gets uh, she gets a phone call, runs out as though she stole something, and um, she gets there. My mom was already passed, but you know I take solace in knowing that at least my mom didn't die like a lot of these coronavirus patients or a lot of people who've been hospitalized where they don't allow you to go in at all, uh, regardless of what that your loved one's dying from. So, um, you know, she at least had a couple of people around her. She died in her home that she loved dearly. So, you know, that there, it is a difficult time right now because you can't do that. Now I remember, um, someone jogged my memory, what I was going to say before, your despair, because that's a term I used a lot this past Sunday in my sermon. Um, despair can be used rightly. It can be it can be a sinful thing. Despair can truly be sinful, but it is God glorifying as much as it points you to Christ. Mm-hmm. So as the despair points you to Christ, and that can be something that happens over time. So don't despair in your despair that you're not despairing rightly. <laughs> um, but uh, put that, put that on a, on a meme. Um, but your despair is, is something that God gives you to draw you closer to him. And that can take time. You know, um, I, th- I think of, um, you know, I think of this cause I shared with my congregation. I love to study theology. I'm, I'm a nerd. I like to read. And, you know, I said, you know, I've, I've thought sometimes maybe I read too much. I should spend more time doing other things, but Theology, the study of God, um, getting into the word is good. And it's given to us as a blessing so that we might know God more so that when, regardless of the situation in which we find ourselves, our roots are firmly grounded and we know how to apply that theology. So all theology, I don't care what, um, what doctrine it is, it, it's there to reveal who God is. It should be um, you know, very devotional theology without devotion. And that goes back to what I think Wes said earlier, referring to seminaries as cemeteries, is that uh, it shouldn't be a cemetery. It should be something. Uh, seminary should be something that brings us closer to God because we study God. It should be largely devotional. So I, I think of this, this is from A.W. Pink's Profiting from the Word. It's a short little book. I highly recommend it. Every Christian should read it. I don't care what your theological persuasion is. It is highly devotional and will teach you how to profit from God's word more. And he says this on page 105 under the heading of the scriptures and joy. That's the, 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 parag- or the chapter. And he says this, every attribute of God, when contemplated by faith, will make the heart sing. Every doctrine of the gospel, when truly apprehended, will call forth gladness and praise. Gladness and praise. Every single doctrine, every, every single aspect, uh, even, even the things that make us feel uncomfortable, it will um, bring out of us. Uh, when the scriptures are being rightly read, rightly understood, and rightly apprehended, meaning we are taking it on. When we, and the scriptures aren't about us, it's about God. But we do have to internalize the truths and that should have an effect on our hearts and it affects our hearts. And the, as it affects our hearts, it affects what we do. And man, are you doing stuff in the midst of despair? Yeah. I'm going to disagree with something you just said, because I think this is a phrase that we hear all the time in response to what I will admit is um, 
a shamefully and wickedly man-centered attitude about scripture where, mm-hmm. where the only reason we study is for, for our sake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I disagree with the statement with some that I hear sometimes that the scriptures are not about us, they're about God. Wrong. They're about God and us. I think this idea that we, we I, I hear sometimes people criticize uh, people for reading the scriptures and seeing themselves in the characters. And I understand some of that criticism, you know, you're not the hero of the story, Jesus is. However, there are still plenty of people in the scriptures to whom you can compare yourself. And I think you should. Uh, there, there's a reason that God wrote, included these stories about his people, right? Mm-hmm. So I understand the point that you're making, but I don't, I, don't agree, I don't agree with the use of the statement. I think it's an overreaction to a, a, a false way of understanding scripture, which is it's all about me. Well, then we swing the other saying, well, say it's not about you at all. It's about God. No, it's about God and you. So I'd for, it's about God first. Okay, I can but take I, and, and I so, can so I don't, so I'm not going to push back too hard. I'm just going to, like the, um, you know, the famous, the famous uh, example is, you know, David and Goliath. And everyone likes to think, oh, you just need to be like David and overcome your Goliath. So it's like, no, no, that's, that's not even the point of the story. Um, you are not Goliath. You are the people in the background. You are Israel who has sinned against God and are fearful and and david points to christ who defeats all sin and before it defeats all things so um you know we just need to be careful god uses and and works through people but it's god's work and not our own so anyway it, um well, we'll so despair another day because I, I still think you're pushing i still think you're overcompensating but we don't have to have this discussion today i want to get into something that Lorinda and um, I want to get something that Lorinda and Palmer pointed out, which is this idea of uh, grieving before they're gone. Uh, Lorinda says, my dad died after an extended illness, and people didn't understand. My mom had done so much Mm. grieving while he was still sick. I think an important point to make here, and I'll say this to you too, Eric, because maybe you're going to need to hear this. If not now, then in the months to come. Um, No one can put your grief on a timeline. I, Mm. I think this is something that uh, people who watch grief and people who are grieving, I think they do themselves a tremendous disservice when they think there's something wrong with them just because a certain amount of time has gone by and they're still feeling a certain way. Now, if it's been three months and you still can't get out of bed, yeah, probably something's wrong. But um, the, uh, the idea that all people should grieve in this way on this timeline, it, I think it is incredibly harmful uh, to the people experiencing grief because it doesn't allow for, um, I've, I've just seen too many people who grieve differently, the way they grieve, the amount of time it takes for them to grieve, the things that trigger grief. I've talked to widows who, you know, three years later, they walk, they're fine, but they're walking through a store and they see a a box of raisin bran and they're, they're a puddle. Uh, and, the, the raisin bran, by the way, is is underrated. Love raisin bran. I don't. I don't think they're crying because they don't like raisin bran. I think they're crying because. No, I know. I know. I'm just saying. I just you know, raisin bran's an underrated cereal. Uh, but but I but I think this is what one the point I'm trying to make is scriptural, which is that we are to mourn with those who mourn, um, mm-hmm. not not to try to fix their mourning. I think this is one of the the big problems with Job's friends. 
is that they <laughs> they're a bunch of idiots. That's why. They, well, well they, were, <laughs> they were great friends at the beginning. All they did was sit down and be with Job while he cried. The problem is then they started trying to fix the problem. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you, this is something, and maybe you can share share some insight that you might have. This is something that I, I still struggle with, is sometimes when people share bad news with me, I just have no idea what to say. Yeah. So, so, so I, I, I – when you don't know what to say, don't say anything. The ministry of presence is really, uh, really important. And sometimes, like if you're like me – I mean, Saturday, so like I was asked, hey, do you want us to send a prayer call out, like a prayer chain? Because we got like call multiplier, we'll send prayer chains to the whole church through email, through a phone call, through a text message. We hit just about everything. And uh, I was I was like, no, no, I, I really don't because I just need to be alone. Like I just need to process by myself. And one of the challenges, and, and I don't know if other people feel this way or if it's just because it's my nature, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, maybe I don't, I don't know, but I feel like when someone reaches out, I have to respond and, and, and in responding, like maybe I'm in the middle of doing something or thinking about something. And, and because of my army training, where it was so important for me to have access to my cell phone, I'm never outside of arm's reach. I even have my cell phone near me in the shower in case something happens like i'm it's something that was ingrained in me in the army because i would have to drop anything at a moment's notice so if i don't answer it's probably because i don't like you <laughs> i'm just i'm kidding um but, <laughs> uh, I, I thought i thought maybe you would come back a little softer just a, a little bit you know tamer and boy, boy was i wrong yeah man no i you know, I thought about that. I, I've thought about that the last couple of days, and I think, I think it probably ha has softened my heart a little bit. I think any time that you that you experience some sort of loss or or trial or or adversity, then it does. God uses that to affect who you are. He he does it to change who you are a little bit, and it's almost like, you know, as Richard Sibbs in in his little book right here, and this is something I've been reading the last couple of weeks, the Bruised Read. Another book I highly recommend, um, Profiting from the Word, or the Bruised Read is, is he's a Puritan author, Richard Sibbs, very readable, very readable for the time period that it was written in. But he talks about essentially these opportunities in which Christ, and it's based on Isaiah, you know, the Bruised Read will never break. Um, and the and the flax, the burning flax you'll never put out. So it, the idea is that you're going to go through stuff in life. And maybe you don't handle it the right way all the time, but God's using it to open up the cracks of your life to continually apply the balm of redemption, the balm of, of, of the gospel that will soothe your soul. And sometimes that just takes a minute. It takes a while. So, you know, but anyway, you know, I, I as Wes said, he, he's someone who needs to grieve a lot. I, I don't know how I need to grieve. You know, I've gone through grief quite a bit. I've lost friends in the military. Um, I lost my grandfather when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And the funny thing is, you know, the, my grandfather died and my mom still made me go to basketball practice that night. <laughs> you know, that, that's how, that's how, and I remember getting into a fight with someone cause I was on edge. Like I legit, like we're in, he was about, I remember the scenario. He's about to inbound the ball. He mouthed off to me. He said something crazy, probably cause I said something to him, you know, we're just kind of trashed. We're teammates by the way. And I just like shot, like went after you know and 
that's not healthy. You know, I want to prevent that. But, you know, everybody grieves differently. It can take days, months, years. And the best thing for people to do is just to, if you don't know what to say, which you probably don't, don't say anything. You know, just say, hey, caring for you. I love you. Pr- praying for you. Whatever. Um, you don't have to try to um, compare grief, compare stories. Uh, yeah. I do appreciate those who, who, I know they mean well, but I often, my tendency is to try to comfort them in the midst of my grieving, uh, which I don't think is is necessarily helpful at all, but it might be, I don't know. Yeah, it's, here, I'm, I'm going to tell two quick stories, because as you're, as you're sharing this, it's sort of, um, there's sort of, you know, little flags are going up in my brain about, whoa, that I just experienced this. Uh, on the subject of the way that grief can affect the way, I think this gets into where grief can either be something sanctifying or it can be something um, that that produces, you know, bad fruit in our lives. Uh, I made the mistake of getting into a political conversation on Facebook the other day. I should know better. But I had a I had a friend who responded and was just uh, just said some awful things to me. And it was not like him at all. I remember that. Uh, I remember thinking like something is wrong. Uh, and a few days later, I get a call and he, he shared with me that um, he and his wife were getting divorced. And so there, there's an example of, of an instance where, uh, and I think, I think this is connected to, I think this is part of why it's so important for us to be charitable with one another is there's no excuse for sin. Um, however, I do think we need to give each other the benefit of the doubt that there's usually um, some when, when, when people really, really treat you badly, uh, there's usually a reason beyond just what's happening in that moment. Yeah. The, the other story that came to my mind, which moves in the opposite direction. So there's an example of where grief produced something really bad. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, there is a, an older man in our church who lost his wife recently. And I can remember people sharing with me, uh, well, when I had first gotten here about how, uh, this, this guy could be really difficult. Uh, he was, he could be really ornery and in in the process of his wife getting sick and in in the process of losing his wife, he has become so much softer and gentler and, um, more vulnerable. Like it's been amazing. Obviously we, we would rather, in 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 our finite wisdom and our foolishness, we would rather that God hadn't taken her away. Mm-hmm. And yet, I see the fruit of the Spirit in this man's life produced by God taking away his wife. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all you have, and again, everything has to be Christocentric, you know. And how does it point you to Christ? His grief. Um. As, as challenging as it is, how real it is, and how natural it is, it can be used rightly and wrongly. And that is a right way to, to use that grief. And that you are, you're applying the balm of the gospel to your heart. And God is meaning it for your good and for his glory. And, you know, that's produced in, like, lamenting. Like, it is, I tell people, like, you're mad at God? good that's fine david was mad at god and he prayed you know like that's that's how a lot of the psalms were written you know and but you see like in his prayer when he lost his son you know even though that that son was born in the midst of sin 
he still grieved over the loss of his son, but he had hope. God, I know I will see him again. And, um, you know, for, for all of us, we can look at these times and say, God, I don't, like, I really, I'm really upset right now. Like, I'm really not cool with you just taking away these people in my life. Like, this is someone I love. I didn't get to say all the things I wanted to say. They didn't get this, like, all the unfinished conversations that, that we have with people, with our loved ones. And, like, this really sucks. And I'm sorry if anyone doesn't like that word, but it really does. And um, so in the midst of that, you go, but God, I know you're, you know better than I do. And, and I trust you. Mm. I'm not happy, but I trust you. And may your glory abound in my heart. May you use this to draw me closer to you. May I, as I think Wes pointed out earlier, may I grow in my reliance upon you. Yeah. May I grow um, may you use this for your glory, for my good. May I point others to Christ in the midst of this, but still feeling that pain through that prayer. That is healthy. That is healthy. And, and, that, and that's a lesson that I learned a couple years ago through a, a dear man of God by the name of Tom. He was one of the leaders at the church that I came from, one of the elders. Uh, and he was... Uh, Tom, by the way, worst name ever. I'm just pointing that out because Tom Loggers in the comments. I'm sorry. Yeah. I had to. I had to. I couldn't help myself. In in terms of intimacy with God, just like faithful um, prayer life, pro- probably one of the most disciplined men I've ever met in that regard. Uh, and and I remember sharing him with him one time. I was like, Tom, I I don't pray because I I don't know what to say. Uh, and Tom goes, well, God just wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. And it like blew up in my mind this, this uh, thing I had set up where prayer is this thing that you do uh, where you sort of like set aside all of your garbage and you bring your very best and you present it before God. Uh, and, and then that's what pleases him. And there's certainly a time for that. But the more I read the scriptures, the more that I find that the examples of prayer we have are actually people pouring out their worst parts to God and then leaving them at his feet, which, yeah. which, which means not only is it okay for you to grieve, it's important for you to grieve to God. Yeah. He should actually be the first and the primary recipient of all of your worst feelings. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you should dishonor him um, by blaspheming just because you're mad, but that that sense that that Eric was just talking about that you were just talking about of um, you you said it's okay to tell God that you're not happy with him, dude. Go read the Psalms. They're they're like this huge chunk of the Psalms is just the psalmist telling God all the reasons that. Uh, he thinks he's made, he, he basically comes just short of saying, uh, you are, you are treating me horribly. Right. And yet those are the songs that God in his sovereignty chose to include in our songbook. Mm-hmm. So that not only should we grieve, but we should grieve to God. And, and this is, this is one of the things that, um, I, I've had to say a, a few times to people who are wrestling with God is they'll, they'll talk about all these, you know, 
these really negative they, feelings that they have toward God. And I'll, and I'm, I'll try to push them into them. I'm like, yes, now tell God those things. Because the mistake that we make sometimes is we feel all these negative feelings. And so then we go hide and run away from God. No, 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 no. When you are the most upset with God is when you have the greatest opportunity to draw nearer to him. Because God says in the Psalms, he is near to the brokenhearted. There is an access to God that you have in brokenness that you don't have when everything's hunky-dory. That's right, man. Um, you know, I was thinking I was thinking about this as you were talking about like some of our worst aspects or, or the worst parts of us coming out. Uh, I'm a huge fan of this television show called The West Wing. Have you ever watched it? Yeah, a little bit. So it's a political drama. Um, I just for those who might be might be curious, I'm you know it follows a Democratic uh, president. If you've watched, I'm going to share a spoiler alert. So if you haven't gotten to this part, I suggest you you turn off. It's in the first like maybe third or fourth season. But um, I don't agree with them politically. Just in case you know they're far left liberals, but uh, it's it's fascinating the the political drama. But the pre- the guy who plays President Martin Sheen. Um, he ends up losing his longtime secretary, who was also who was at one time his dad's secretary when he was part of a boarding school, and she had been with him since he was the governor of New Hampshire, um, and he, uh, you know, so he became president. He she was she became his secretary there as well, and she dies in a car wreck, um, and she dies after pinching pennies her entire life. This was a woman who lost. Uh, her son, it might have been both sons in Vietnam, and uh, she was a great patriot. She was, you know, she was so proud of, of essentially this other guy who became president that she's helped kind of, you know, mentor, and, and she dies, and the president, his name was Jed Bartlett in the show. Um, he also, at one time, was going to study to be a priest, a Catholic priest. He was Roman Catholic, but very liberal as well, and he uh, gets to the cathedral, I believe it was the Washington Cathedral, whatever it, whatever it is, and he goes in there and is smoking a cigarette. And he kind of throughout the whole show is kind of smoking on and off, and he has to hide it from his wife, and it's kind of a big theme. But he has this conversation with God, and there is so much emotion that, that the actor shows through this character, um, how angry he was at God, sharing all the things that he was upset about. God, I did everything that you called me to do i did all these things that were right i did all these things and yet this is this is what you've done why have you done this and all this upset now i don't i don't remember if he's really essentially redeemed you know in in his relationship growing uh in fact he's roman catholic so i don't even consider him a christian um That's especially why are you always gonna do this man you're like yeah uh, wait i i don't disagree but we gotta save that for another day. <laughs> Well, I'll say this: the 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 Roman Catholic doctrine is not Christian, but there are Christians within Roman Catholicism. I agree. So, Finish the so, point. So um, the point is, I look at that and go, "That's that's keeping it real, man." Uh, you know, and 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 God wants you to keep it real. It's all you know. I used to think that, man, I have all these feelings. As long as I don't say them, then I'm not sinning against God. No, man. Like, <laughs> like if I'm feeling it in my heart, I might as well just say it. You know, I might as well just say it to God, get it out there. And if I'm angry with him, well, God can handle it. God can handle my anger for sure. But he's going to redirect that anger um, so that I might grow more 
and man, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not happy that my mom died, you know, like I'm not happy. Um, you know, God and I are going to sort through some, some stuff, right. There are some things that, that I think my mom probably wanted to say to me before she passed. And I think there are some things that I wanted to say to her and that will never happen. And I do feel robbed from that, but, and I can feel angry about that. I feel entitled to be angry, but God's going to use that. And I know he will. Um, he, he's continually softening my heart. And I know that um, there are reasons for, for whatever um, has happened and will happen. And that God will continue to, to use even these sinful, sometimes sinful emotions. I don't think anger is necessarily sinful. Um, no, of, no, of yeah. course not. Of course not. I, right. I, I, don't, I don't think you can call any uh, emotion that is exhibited at some point by God as mm -hmm. sinful, right? It's, mm -hmm. uh, it, it can be perverted in, in sinful ways. Now, Mark said something really interesting. I've learned that many times people who are hurting and angry with God over something are the ones who take it out on their pastor. They can't be mad at God, so they'll use us as a substitute. So I, I had the was I feel very blessed in that I learned this lesson actually before I ever became a pastor. When I was still just the music guy, uh, I made the mistake of moving around furniture on a stage that basically hadn't been touched in like 15 years. And mm -hmm. there was this huge blow up. And I'm like, at the time, I'm what, 26, 25, 26. I know I'm not that much older, but when you're 25, you really, really don't know anything. And I, I can remember thinking like, I feel like oh, I'm 32. I still don't know. Anything. <laughs> uh, speak for yourself. And so I'm, uh, I'm just thinking like, you know, these, oh gosh, these old people and their traditions and they're, you know, they're just being silly. Um, but because I had a, a, a good pastor who was over me, he actually made me sit down and talk to some of the really angry people. And one of the things that I learned from that discussion was that like I was, like we were saying before, it wasn't just that I had moved the stuff on the stage. For a lot of these people, like their whole lives had been completely ripped away from them in the past ten years, as mm -hmm. this and you know this ever accelerating modernization of the world. It's like everything that they knew was gone, and then I touched the one thing that was the same as it had been 20 years before. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make them right. But I had a, I had compassion for them like I'd never had before because I understood for the first time, they're not just angry at me. They're angry at a lot of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and to Mark's point, maybe even angry with God for letting all these things happen. Yeah, I'm just the straw that happened to break the camel's back. Or, or I'm the I'm the outrage uh, target of the week. Mm -hmm. so I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what Mark shared, and that can be that can be incredibly challenging for pastors to navigate those things. You know, if you're the recipient of people's anger, mm -hmm. then like, aren't you entitled to also be just as angry? <laughs> you know, like if someone acts to, acts sinful towards you, I mean, you know, you you are in a sense justified in. And what the Bible calls us, like Jesus calls us to call them out on it. You know, if you're acting, if you sin against me, I'm going, like, I'm going to tell you that you're sinning against me. Mm -hmm. But we also need to use wisdom and prudence to realize, 
okay, maybe I would, I, I would sin against. However, I'm responsible for shepherding this person. Mm-hmm. And as such, I need to realize uh, when it's appropriate to push back. Yeah. And, and, and in that moment is often not the right time to push back, especially if you recognize that there's a great, now it's one thing you can use it as a diagnostic. If they're angry over you moving the pulpit, then, uh, by the way, great book, Who Moved My Pulpit um, by Tom Rainer. But, um, you know, if they're angry about the pulpit, then maybe you just put it back and go, oh, my bad. But if you realize like, hey, there's something going on at home, right? The better question is to, to try to probe to find out what's going on. Like, are they having marital problems? Was there a diagnosis of, mm-hmm. of something? Maybe they lost their job. And now, instead of like, hey, brother, you sinned against me. You need to turn from that sin, repent, and you know, there's time for that later on. <laughs> but let's dig to the roots of what's going on. And, and deal with that stuff later. Cause I can easily, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. I can easily forgive someone for lashing out at me because of the issues that they, um, that they are having in their personal life at, at home. And, and I'll, know, and I'll tell another quick story here and then we should probably. West yep. By a McDonald who stole my church. Phenomenal book. I recommend it for every church member and every church leader. Wow, that's quite a recommendation. I'll tell one more story. And it was really early on in my pastorate where uh, there were a few hornet's nests I stepped in those first few months. You know, I was, I, I it's so funny. I talk like I'm really wise now. I'm, I'm still very young and uh, don't know anything, but I have learned a lot in a year and a half and mostly by trial and error. You know, mm-hmm. I learn best by screwing things up. And I suspect that's pretty normal for men of my age. So I I stepped in one of them, one of the hornet's nests. um, And there was someone in the church who was very, very upset with me. And I had the opportunity to sort of sit down with them and try to hash out because, because, you know, so often when we really hurt people, uh, we weren't trying to, we did something that just seemed like sensible or said something that we thought was obvious. And then you find out, well, uh, what, what I thought was nothing to them was a big deal. And one of the things I learned in that conversation was they actually had a background coming out of a church that had been, that had hurt them very, very deeply. And so what I had done was poured a little bit of salt on a very old and deep wound. Mm. And, uh, and I would have never known that just if I had just gone like, well, they reacted badly and they owe me an apology. Yeah. Yeah. We, and that, you know, that's something that we have to learn to deal with. And I'll tell you like the idea of, um, you know, this reminds me of Roberto Maldonado just, just shared a comment on there. I don't know if he's still watching, but he was one of my, uh, NCO was one of my supervisors when I was in the army and, um, he just commented, thanks. Thanks. Uh, uh, Sergeant Maldonado. It's kind of weird calling someone that you knew in the army, not by the rank, but, um, you know, I remember him, uh, taking me out, uh, outside one time when he was going to send me to a promotion board in the army, the promotion boards, uh, you, you have to meet qualifications and you have to go before like a, a bunch of leaders. And essentially they ask you questions. They're looking to see if you're competent, um, what kind of knowledge base you have. And I didn't think I was ready. And I remember uh, Roberto Maldonado taking me out, out front and he said, I don't care if you're ready, get your mind right. You're going, I think you're ready. And, and 
uh, as pastor's first sergeant now. My bad, first sergeant. Uh, so he's 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 the big dog, man. Uh, lots of responsibility. There is a great NCO, and it's well earned. Um, but you know, it's in the midst of of being a pastor, in the midst of of anything, you have to get your mind right. Uh, whether it's in a board meeting, whether it's in a um, preaching or whatever it is, you have to get your mind right for whatever you're about to accomplish. And that means sometimes you have to put that armor on and and take um, take take the lickings, so to speak. <laughs> you know, take take that whooping and and just get your mind right to figure out, okay, I need to be calm, cool, collected, because if the pastor loses his mind on someone, even though he might be justified, <laughs> um, that's not going to be good for the church. So it's kind of like in the midst of in the midst of combat. You don't need a leader who's going to lose their you know what in the middle of in the middle of a firefight. You need the guy uh, who's going to be out there who can, while getting shot at, look a- around and say, "You go do that. You secure that area. You secure that area. Suppress fire over there." Um, being able to direct someone to get on 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 the um, the radio to call it in and all that you have to have that type of mind so you have to as a pastor even in the midst of our own morning to prepare our minds and seek the lord in the midst of that um for him to get our minds right as well yeah well we have once again proven our total inability to stay on topic although i had a great time um why don't we close the the section on morning with our our favorite passage right now related to this Mine is Psalm 34, verse 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. So often when I don't know what to say to people in the middle of a tragedy, I just share that verse with them and remind them that in their brokenness, uh, the Lord is near. Well, this one, um, you didn't prepare me for this, but I uh, there's one that a good friend of mine shared and one of the most encouraging things that I'd actually received, he knew what the right thing to say was. And he shared um, Micah 7, 7 with me. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Hmm. Hmm. I can tell your buddy uh, Maldonado is a military because his only punctuation is the exclamation point. That's really the only way we know how to talk uh, with exclamation points. <laughs> you uh do you want to do a, a question out of the catechism today do you want to yeah, i did i did not prepare uh, okay. anything from the catechism to, in fact it's in the office and because i just got back from traveling although like check this i drove 10 hour drive only stopped once and it was for gas didn't even go to the bathroom uh both times up and back so that's pretty hardcore i told people it's because hey when you go when you're deployed and you have to take like an eight hour convoy you can't really stop uh, you end up, you know, you figure it out. So, uh, that, that, look, I would not be able to do that, but, uh, you need to talk to Bob Copeland sometime about the weekend that his grandmother died because he drove from Chicago out to Massachusetts. He was only there for 14 hours and he had two of his children in the car. How long did it take him to drive? 15 hours one way. How many times did you guys stop? Uh, it can't have been more than twice on either trip. Good for him. Listen, you know you can you can deal with it. You know there are worse things in life. Uh, I will I will tell you I uh, when when I when Lindsay and I did the long distance thing for about nine months and twice 
uh, in a weekend, I did two 13 hour drives. And then I decided that we either had to break up or I was going to move because I was never doing that again. So I take it you moved. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to hear. Worked out. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I couldn't go to the office because I'm trying to self-isolate as much as possible. Even though I took all the pro- – I went all above and beyond with all the precautions. Used, used gloves, had hand sanitizer, used Clorox wipes. When I was up there, I had a mask on. Yeah, man. Oh, there's one more thing I need to do. Hang on. I'm going to leave the stream for 30 seconds. Uh, shoot the breeze with Minaldo for a second. Wait, why, where are you going? Okay, I don't know where Luke went. Nor do I know uh, what I'm supposed to be talking about here. But um, if you guys didn't know, you're wondering about my name on here, Mr. or Bearded Mr. Clean. Someone commented uh, yesterday because I ended up cutting my hair. So now I look like Mr. Clean with a beard. And then Luke, uh, I don't know if you know this, I'm usually punctual, um, usually show up about 10 minutes prior to our, uh, our show. But Luke, on the other hand, likes to refer to himself as Mr. Punctual, even though he, if we're starting the show at two, he'll show up at 1.59 and 30 seconds. And it let, freaks me out. Let the record show, I am not the reason we started at 2.30 today. Would you like to tell them why that happened? Uh, yeah, I had another commitment. Sorry, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing you. I'm just making sure the record is straight. All right. I, I, had, I had to reset. Um, but I was scheduled. I met like I I made prior arrangements. I talked to you yesterday about it. Or yeah, Eric, Eric actually made the uh, uh, attempt to speaking speaking of reading yourself into the scriptures. Eric made the attempt to refer to me as the thorn in the flesh uh, that Paul refers to in First Corinthians. You are but, the thorn in my flesh. Before we before we close, I just wanted to share a little something. Uh, this is I have no idea what this is. Hold on. Kind of scared. Okay. I just wanted to show you that. I think I have to add it to the stream. What is this? It's you. It's a picture of you. Yesterday. <laughs> because of the Kool-Aid man? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me uh... – so you wanted to share with everyone um, why this is? Yes. Uh, Tom. Tom. Is it Lowry? Is that how you say his name? Logry. Logry. Yeah. Uh, yep. So uh, the guy who actually makes this happen – Eric does a lot too. I just kind of show up at 159, but Eric, Eric does a lot of work behind the scenes and Tom does a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, we appreciate him. He yesterday when uh, creedalism came up, uh, he, he said in a, at any moment now, Eric is going to come busting through like the Kool-Aid man talking about creed. So I thought, I thought that this was a, an important bit of work to be done to honor Tom's, uh, beautiful comment. Yeah, I am. I am pro creed. I am pro creed. Which you know, I think. Did we talk about that already? About how I'm right and everybody else is wrong. What else do we talk about? <laughs> That's actually fair. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but you know, I you know, you need you need to say what you believe. You I know? agree. I agree. And you know what? We're going to have some some good discussions in the weeks to come, and I wouldn't rather have them with anyone else. It's good to have you back, Eric. Thank you. And, and again, I appreciate everyone's prayers and support through this difficult time. Um, yeah, who, I, I got no idea what the coming days, weeks, and months, or years will look like. But, um, yeah. Yeah. 
we do know we do know this um the lord will accomplish his purposes through this and all things mm, that's right that's right cool man all right folks Is there anything else to talk to? We still got like nine. We still got like nine viewers. We could continue if we wanted. Bro, I I, I gotta get out. Oh yeah, you said three forty-five or what? Yeah, that, you or you your wife you that, that, that That's not enough time for us to say anything. If you, don't, if you don't get home on time, you know, when does he give you the backhand? No, 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 no. Front hand. She's not gonna. <laughs> um, she's a real woman. Come on, have, man. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen um, the Chappelle Show? Uh, should I ad admit that right now? <laughs> well, I didn't grow up a Christian, so if you don't, if you think that you shouldn't watch non-Christian things, then well, I didn't watch it when I was a Christian, but there was a. So yeah, yeah, yeah I've, I've seen the Chappelle Show, and I even really like it. Yeah, hilarious. But um, Dave Chappelle, all, again, I would strongly recommend that if you don't like, I don't like bad language. However, it doesn't offend me. Um, because of my background but if you get offended by bad language or some things that could yes thank you mark wolfington so there is a scene the best episode of probably the whole series it's a um it, it has rick james in it or dave Chappelle's playing rick james well rick james is also in the show and it's and it's pretty funny and there comes a point where rick james comes up to um uh uh Charlie Murphy, who is the brother of Eddie Murphy. And Charlie Murphy is the one telling the story. And he's talking about his run-ins with Rick James. And he gets to this bar or whatever. And he sees Rick James. And Rick James would always just be a total turd to him. And he'd come up and he'd say, hey, Charlie Murphy. And Charlie Murphy would come up and he said, uh, Charlie Murphy, I got to go joke for you. And he said, all right, what's that? And Rick James looks at Charlie Murphy and said, what the five fingers say the face? And he said, I don't know, Rick. What? And he, and he comes, rears back, slaps him as hard as he can, like so, I think it was so hard, like his head comes down and hits the front of the bar, and he goes, slap! And that's what I just have, have in mind. Uh, All right.